Well, everyone, welcome to another Direct Connect with Archer. Um, Mark Bromstead here with me is Steve Parker and Leonard Chamberlain, managing partners here at Archer. Hello, Steve. Hello, Leonard. How are you all doing? Hi, Mark. I'm doing well. Doing well. Thank you. Good morning. I know today we want to talk about uh, oil and gas, security directives, TSA, and all things included there. So I know we want to really spend some time today on service direct security directive too. Um, to see that is specifically, but maybe for those that are newer to the industry, uh, maybe haven't been following as close or just didn't know that uh, Security Directive 2C was out, um, maybe we could start with a maybe a 60-second history as to you know where the security directives came from and why why they came out. One of you want to take a take a swing there? That would be a great start, I think. Yeah, are we going to arm wrestle for this one, Leonard? Or do you want to you want to take you want to take in a run? Uh, I was going to start with the dinosaurs dying and creating oil, so probably better for you to start. Yeah, we only got we only got sixty seconds. So, 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 so in a, in a nutshell, you know, a couple of years ago, some bad people did a bad thing to a pipeline, caused a lot of problems, and so the federal government felt they had to react to that and make the uh, pipeline companies do good things to stop the bad people from doing bad things. Um, and uh, let me expand on that just a little bit. It might be a bit simplistic, but. Uh, so the Transportation Security uh, Administration, TSA, does have regulatory authority over uh, the interstate pipeline uh, companies. And as a result of the Colonial Pipeline attack uh, a couple years back, they decided it was time to uh, put in place some mandatory cybersecurity requirements uh, for the industry. They did it under their emergency authority. So these are uh, ostensibly temporary requirements. The intent is that they will come back with permanent standards at some point in the future. Uh, but these are uh, emergency authority to uh, invoke temporary, quote-unquote, temporary requirements for the industry, uh, specifically to address some of the concerns that were raised from the Colonial Pipeline attack and requirements specifically address some of the vectors that were used um, in that. So in, in a nutshell, that's where this came from. I think that's helpful, um, especially for those that may not have been following it in, in industry or maybe new to the industry. You know, I know when I came to Archer uh, almost five years ago, I think the, the common sentence that I heard both from clients, uh, prospects, even internally was, you know, we're probably one event away from oil and gas having some sort of regulation. And that, that event has now happened that uh, really spurred that regulation. Um, Leonard, maybe for you, what's been challenging in the industry um, for those to address the, the TSA security directives? There have been a number of challenges, Mark. Um, difficult to, I think, pin um, you know, a, a primary talking point in that regard. Um, two, two things jump out, though, as, as I think about it. Uh, one is the timing. Some, some very aggressive timeframes were attached to the security directives. Um, literally moving mountains from a um, cybersecurity and compliance perspective to implement some of these measures within 30 days. Um, other measures had uh, longer time frames, but again, um, you know, zero to 100 and, and like that and expecting change uh, was very aggressive on TSA's part. Um, secondly, I would say just, um, I, again, with the speed at which 
the, the measures um, were expected to be implemented, um, establishing a compliance regime where one previously did not really exist. Um, the oil and natural gas uh, partners that we have uh, had the opportunity to work with um, clearly uh, understand cybersecurity, um, clearly, clearly already had existing um, postures to leverage in that regard, but this compliance factor is something very new to them and I think um, going to continue to be a, a challenge for the industry. And, you know, most recently, the, the most recent service directive, security directive, uh, was, uh, was released just a couple of weeks ago. Maybe we can spend a little time on what that security directive is focused on, um, it kind of as a go forward. So, uh, Steve, maybe you want to um, give us your thoughts on that security directive. I think it's affectionately known as 2C. It is. It's a security directive, too. And to be careful, you're going to have me saying service directive before too long. You get it in your mind, it kind of sticks, but it is a security directive. Uh, and then it's security directive, two. It was the second one that was issued back in 2021. Version C, there's been a couple minor amendments to it. Uh, version C uh, was required because these directives only have a 12-month lifespan. Uh, as I mentioned, they are temporary in nature, so they need to be renewed. So version C renewed the directive from uh, 2021 and did some fairly significant changes changes to it. Uh, you know, the core of what TSA wants to be done is pretty much the same. Uh, what they've done in this version is allowed for more flexibility. So they've softened some of the language, modified some of the language, so that entities are given flexibility in how they approach it or meet the objectives. But the underlying objectives of what TSA wants accomplished from a security perspective really have not changed significantly. What are some of the must-dos as part of the SD2C? There's there's three that come to mind. Um, the, the first one is that's requiring an implementation plan. So I mentioned this desire to give more flexibility to industry. So there are some specific measures that need to be addressed, but the TSA is now both permitting and requiring entities to develop an implementation plan that lays out in detail how they are going to meet those objectives along with timelines. So, uh, you know, a pipeline operator might be able to say, well, we want to use this technology versus that. They can make those decisions, but they still have to put that plan in, in, uh, down on paper. They have to put in the timelines for that. And then ultimately, TSA has the authority to review that plan and must approve it, um, acknowledging that it's going to, going to meet the objective. So that's, that's, that's one big one. Um, another one is the requirement to uh, establish, implement, and maintain a cybersecurity incident response plan. Now, this is a carryover from the previous version, um, but there's a little more, a little more impetus on that. And of course, it's directly speaking to what happened with Colonial Pipeline. Um, TSA wants to ensure that utilities can respond to an event when it happens in an effective manner, prevent the spread, and, and ideally, right, the goal is to prevent an operational impact. So that is out there. Then the final one's very interesting, uh, and I think very impactful, especially given what Leonard had mentioned about the compliance aspects of this. Uh, they are requiring uh, entities to develop an internal assessment program to validate the effectiveness of their controls and essentially compliance 
with the directive. Uh, they also rolled in, there was previously a architecture review requirement that is in that uh, internal assessment program as well. Uh, they're also looking at uh, pen, uh, penetration testing, red blue team exercises, things of that uh, that nature. So it's putting uh, a very significant requirement on entities to actually self-assess, internally look at what they're doing to assure that they're meeting uh, the objectives. And then of course, obviously TSA at some point is going to do uh, rigorous audits and inspections to validate that as well. That was going to be one of my follow-up questions uh, was uh, the audit expectations going forward. We know what they have kind of been till today. So um, you anticipate more rigorous uh, audits than, than what they did this first round? Um, I, I do, and I'll let Leonard weigh in on that, uh, given that he, had, he has some federal regulatory experience. Uh, I'd be interested to hear his thoughts on what might be coming. <laughs> yeah, I, I think it's uh, an injustice to the word audit to suggest that what TSA just did uh, in this first year was, was kind of an audit. I don't know that it even necessarily qualifies as a spot check, um, but it was basically a you know, couple four-hour visit at the most uh, by a couple of TSA auditors to have a friendly conversation. Uh, we have heard isolated uh, uh, reports of, uh, you know, a little bit more rigor in some cases, but for the most part, it uh, it, it definitely was not an audit. Um, tagging on to something Steve said there uh, on the implementation plan and, and hearkening back to one of my challenges identified for the industry is the time frame. This implementation plan that's required under version C the industry gets a whole 90 days to put that together and submit it to TSA for approval. So October 25th is, is the deadline for that based on the um, security directive being released on July 27th. So uh, clock is ticking and a lot of work to do. What, does, what has to be in that implementation plan? Um, well, as Steve was saying, I mean, this is um, – Less prescriptive, more flexible requirements, measures, as they're called in TSA speak, um, <clears throat> for version C. Essentially, your plan for implementing um, these measures. Uh, a lot of that work will roll over from previous work from from uh, version B. Uh, we haven't actually talked about that uh, just yet as far as, um, you know, what happens to all that existing work. Do you, do you still have to keep doing it? As Steve said, you know, these security directives have a, a one-year life cycle, um, and at the end of that one year, they expire. Um, in this case, um, you know, TSA continues to build upon the previous version, and it says, in other words, yes, and, um, you know, yes, continue doing version one, and continue doing version 2B, and now 2C. Interesting how they changed the, the numbering there. <clears throat> but at any rate, um, version B is included uh, as an appendix to version C. So a uh, very explicit directive in, in uh, the new version to continue implementing attachment, the attachment, uh, essentially version B, up until the implementation plan uh, is approved by TSA. So, you know, what happens at that point? Do you stop doing it? Uh, I think it's pretty clear that TSA expects the lion's share of that existing implementation work to roll into your new implementation plan. Certainly there are opportunities to leverage some of the um, less prescriptive language in, in the new version, maybe dial back some of your 
uh, previous implementation, but uh, I guess um, your mileage may vary depending on how you've implemented it to this point. You know, prior to this uh, conversation, we had talked about a, a new defined term, uh, critical cyber systems. Um, you want to uh, update folks on what critical cyber systems are and what does that mean to their plan? Sure, sure. So interesting uh, choice of language there. It, it kind of um, uh, concatenates um, some old SIP language, NERC SIP language that we are, are familiar with on the uh, electrical side, uh, the concepts of um, uh, critical cyber assets uh, was was once a thing. Uh, Bez cyber systems is now a thing, and so it kind of takes uh, similar similar wording to come up with this new concept. Uh, CCS critical cyber systems, um, and it builds upon the the IT and OT system uh, concepts that were established in the previous versions of the security directives, and and brings in this concept of uh, misuse. Uh, something that's been inherent in the SIP standards, which was arguably implied in the previous version of the, of the security directive, but now is explicit. It's not just the OT systems responsible for control of the pipeline. It's not just the IT systems that are, you know, managing the data that um, the entity is responsible for maintaining as part of that control, but it's now any system that could be um, misused to potentially cause an impact on operations. So a much much wider net to cast, if you will, as you're scoping your systems that um, you know you have to implement these measures for. Does it leave it to the individual entities to ultimately define what their systems, their critical cyber systems are? But not just define, but also inventory. Uh, which was another thing that uh, the previous versions of the security directive um, did not explicitly require. Um, but now that's pretty much number one is go identify your critical cyber systems. So um, a, a lot of interesting um, uh, ways to, to approach that, right? Um, how do you how do you demonstrate to a future auditor that you identified everything? Well, you know, kind of start with the universe of potential in-scope devices and then evaluate them against these new criteria of the IT, the OT, um, and the CCS aspect of, um, you know, potential misuse. One of the last questions that I had coming into this conversation today, Steve, you've kind of already answered it a little bit, and that is uh, what do you anticipate will be next from the TSA? You know, I, you kind of mentioned the, the auditing uh, being a little more uh, onerous or rigorous, um, but what, what do we anticipate next? Is there, uh, Security Directive 3, maybe? What does that look like in, in your mind? That, that's a great question, and uh, I'll tell you, I think predicting what a federal agency is going to do tends to be a fool's game, but um, we can make we can make some educated guesses on, on what could happen. Uh, you know, SD2C is still fairly new, and so obviously there's going to be a focus over the next uh, 90 days or so of people getting their implementation plans submitted to TSA, and they'll be reviewing those. And I think depending on what those look like, you know, TSA will have some reaction to that. They they may accept many of them. They may find that many of them are inadequate and they have to go back and say, no, please, please try again. Um, 
but uh, they have indicated that they want to do a rulemaking process to have permanent uh, requirements or standards. So I think that'll be one of the one of the big things we see next. We also know that uh, they're they're gearing up to do uh, audits, or they refer to them as inspections. So uh, we know that they're they're hiring and or trying to hire at least, and and will be gearing up for that. So I would expect. Uh, uh, you know, another round of inspections uh, within the next year or so, and uh, eventually a, a real audit regime will, will, will be developed. But uh, the big one is, let's, you know, let's get through SD2C, let's uh, get implementation plans set that are acceptable to TSA, and then uh, let's uh, fasten our seatbelts for the ra uh, rulemaking process as permanent standards are developed. That'll be, uh, like I say, fasten your seatbelts. That'll be, that'll be a bit of a ride, I'm sure. Well, let me let me maybe wrap stuff up with an open-ended question. Um, and what uh, what haven't we talked about that you want to make sure the folks in the industry you know are thinking about as they're looking at their looking at the security directives, looking at their overall posture? Any last-minute thoughts on you know what they should be thinking about or should be top of mind? The thing that comes to mind is the the tension between security and compliance. And with this industry being new to the compliance side, uh, they're going to have to learn that. I mean. You can you can hear from others who've been through it, but until you actually experience that and live through that process, um, you really don't know and fully understand what it's going to entail. And the reality is, we have a new regulator. Uh, this is not a case of uh, uh, an agency that's done regulations of this type expanding them. This is a new regulatory entity, um, so they're going to be learning and feeling the way through this as well. So you know, an entity may believe they have great security, and they might have great security. That doesn't mean that your compliance is done, right? There are, you have to be able to prove it, demonstrate it, speak to it, um, document it. And so all that takes effort and it's a different skill set than simply securing your systems. So there's going to be a bit of a learning curve. It's going to go on for a while. Um, we learned in the electric sector that, well, they're still learning after a decade and a half. So I would expect there to be a, a, a very lengthy learning curve for both the regulator and the industry in this case. Um, for years, I would expect it to take. Yeah, I, I concur with that, Steve. I think that's going to be um, uh, definitely a huge challenge. I mean, independent of um, navigating uh, version C and these new concepts that we were talking about, you know, certainly it's going to, to end up being challenging to uh, arguably implement, you know, something that should be easier. It's less prescriptive. We have more flexibility, but uh, that certainly falls under a be careful what you wish for um, label there. Um, but, you know, from what we're hearing, TSA is very short-staffed. I mean, I, I have more fingers than they have um, auditors uh, at the moment. So uh, it, how long it's going to take for TSA to review the industry's implementation plans and, and approve them and, and uh, you know, keep moving this process forward remains to be seen. But uh, uh, whenever that does happen, I concur. I mean, it's going to be challenging to to understand, um, you know, what, what auditors expect, how to present your evidence, um, how to respond to questions or um, not respond, depending on the case. Um, but it uh, should be fun. I think fun is uh, an operative word there, maybe. But, uh, well, <laughs> Steve and Leonard, I know you both are uh, presenting and uh, having a conversation with the OMG ISAC later this week on this very topic. So 
members of the industry will be uh, involved in uh, in that uh, um, in great detail here in, in this week. So I'm sure more will come out of those conversations as well. So maybe we can come back and revisit on our next Direct Connect here with Archer. So, uh, Steve Leonard, thank you for uh, your time. And uh, this has been another Direct Connect with Archer. Thank you. Thank you, Mark. It's been a pleasure. Thank you. Not only is Direct Connect available to listen to, you can also watch each episode on our YouTube channel at youtube.com forward slash Archer News Network. If you're interested in who we are and what we do, head on over to our website at archerint.com. That's archerint.com. You can also follow us on our social media platforms, Archer International on Facebook, Archer Energy Solutions LLC on LinkedIn, at Archer underscore INTL on Twitter. Thanks for listening, and check back every other week for brand new episodes.